Welcome to the final episode of the VV Nation podcast, Ultra Running Diary series, the series in which we have shared our journey scaling from 10K fitness to 100K ultra. We're recording this episode a few days after the 67 mile ultra, and we're going to be reflecting on the last eight months, talking about the event in detail and going over what we've taken away from the journey. It's Chris and Nick here as usual, and once more, we're joined by our fellow ultra runner and cousin James who ran with us on the day and has played a critical part in the journey, especially if you've listened to previous episodes. Now, Nick and I are going to be as honest as possible here, talking about the positives and the negatives of ultra running and basically the main challenges that we've experienced throughout and our, our learning. So first of all, welcome back to the podcast, James, and hi, Nick. Hi, Chris. Hello, boys. Nice to see you again. <laughs> We're seeing probably too much of each other let's be honest over the last week <laughs> so I think before we go any further it's probably worth just reflecting Chris on where we began the journey so you've mentioned already that we've been training for like eight months we really started this process seriously I think in January so if you go back to January where were you as a runner not in a good position and <laughs> I say that as in episode one we talked about the training plan that we were going to follow and the response that we had from a couple of ultra run coaches who literally laughed us out of the park when we said we were going to do a hundred K ultra. And basically I would say that I was in reasonable fitness, but not a natural runner, not a regular runner and did most of my exercise either in the gym or playing football at the time. Um, I think, in November and December in the months before we started the training plan I ran maybe 20 miles combined in total so um that was where I was at kind of with running um obviously we'd only done one marathon beforehand and when we looked at our Strava uh, sort of longest ever runs I think my longest run apart from the Brighton marathon which was two years ago now was a 17 and a half mile training run so Long distance running definitely wasn't my forte. And um, I've just become a father as well. So parenting was mixed in there, um, as well as obviously going through COVID, which in fact, I think the lockdown probably helped purely because there was nothing else to do. Um, anything else to, to add there, Nick, about where we started this journey? No, I think it's pretty similar for me, to be honest, Chris. I mean, as you say we'd run a marathon in 2019 a sub five hour marathon which is okay um but this is completely unlike anything we've done before and much much bigger challenge so yeah it's been a it's been a long battle to kind of get to that start line in a way and i think that's something that we're probably both going to reflect on a little bit as we talk about this so if we then fast forward to friday night the end of that process of training um race day the following morning how are you feeling on friday night chris so i think um after we did the last episode where we were talking about tapering pretty much the worst case happened um and i just about got away with it which is i got ill um so my daughter picked something up from nursery i had quite bad cold symptoms nothing too savage but I, I wasn't feeling great on the Monday, Tuesday and Wednesday at all. And then my wife um, had a COVID scare. <laughs> so the whole the whole mix of emotions came about of like, oh, my God, all this hard work. And like, what if I'm told to self-isolate? What if 
my wife tests positive or what if I tested positive for COVID. Um, but I, I did what every panicker, last minute panicker does and just basically bought a load of last minute things to try and get myself out of it. So I, I spent about 50 quid on like immunity boosters and all that sort of stuff, which in fairness, I did get better very quickly. So by Thursday, I was feeling a lot better. And on Friday, the, the day before the race, I'd say I was probably about 90%. And when I woke up on Saturday morning, I actually felt fine. But it wasn't the best week of build up for me. I, I went to the gym and just sat in the steam room for like 20 minutes every day to try and like clean it all out. Um, but in terms of my mentality, I was okay, I think. I, I don't think like real nerves had set in. But I was kind of panicking over the preparation side of things. So like packing the bag. And of course, the weather changed horrendously. So we then had the debacle of had we got the best waterproof uh, gear? And the answer for me was absolutely not. <laughs> so I originally went for just a cheap waterproof, waterproof jacket because I assumed that I wouldn't need it being in August in the summer. Um, and then you basically scuppered all my plans by investing in a good waterproof jacket which then made me think I definitely need to invest as well and we'll come on to this but I'm I'm super glad that I did so I was um we we basically spoke throughout the entire thing saying not to try anything new on race day but I was trying new gear the night before and I did get a waterproof jacket <laughs> Um, which was a little bit too big for me, but I'm glad that I wore it. So where was your head at, Nick? I felt pretty good, to be honest. I mean, I, I think I said on the last podcast that I quite enjoyed the two weeks before the event just because I felt like it was past the point of no return at that stage. And whereas during the training, there's always that question mark of whether you could be doing more. I think at, at that stage with the taper, it's just about getting yourself mentally and physically ready to run. I think what really dominated the build-up um, and probably shaped the experience of the race itself was just the weather. And I spent a lot of time in that week before the race just constantly refreshing, just trying to work out what kind of conditions we we're going to be running in. And as you've said, I made about 10 trips to decathlon in three <laughs> days, just going over my kit list. And there's, a, there's a lot to remember for an ultramarathon. That's something that really struck me as I was trying to get ready in the last couple of days is just the mandatory kit list is actually pretty big and like with everything the amount of money you put into it I think can make a significant difference so there was a bit of panic buying there was a little bit of kind of nervousness around forgetting things um, but I was actually quite excited to be honest the weather definitely dampened that enthusiasm um james i know when we last did the podcast you actually surprised both me and chris by saying that you were nervous a little bit how were you on the day before well <laughs> i didn't expect on day before to still be discussing kit lists and how to pack bags and things like that you know um well i i, I think was... just to jump in there james i think it was actually brilliant having you as a resource for that because i could basically just ask is this right what should I wear this or this have I packed correctly and those little things because of your experience just make a, a, like they all make small little differences so for everyone listening James joined us uh, for part of the Friday and cooked us dinner as well so 
we were able to bounce our ideas off you James which I found really helpful because otherwise if if I was saying to Nick you know should I wear this waterproof or this waterproof Nick didn't know because he'd never done one before so me and him would have been just debating it the whole time whereas you were just like wear that if it rains you need to be protected properly yeah and I, but I was still nervous because a of the weather forecast and b because I just know how far these distances are and what how one thing going wrong slightly wrong can um grow into a huge problem um you know it, it is a very very long way and you never don't get nervous before these types of things because you put so much into it and the last thing you want is to is to not come out the other side yeah no i think that that's fair so James goes off to his hotel in the evening. Nick and I are left to our own devices. We end up watching some like Olympics recap. Um, it was called a documentary basically around gold medals, which was designed to be a bit of inspiration. Go to bed fairly early. I don't think either of us slept that well, did we, Nick? Um, and we got up at no. five and wake up and it's hammering down with rain, which is exactly what we didn't want to see. Um, so we end up getting well we'd booked a taxi the day before to take us to the start line which was in london bridge southwark cathedral so nick why don't you tell everyone about what the start of the race was like um so like getting there and what the race atmosphere was like yeah i mean this is the first point when i think i started to realize how different ultras are to the other events that we've done and i know chris this is something that you want to talk about quite a lot over the course of the podcast but it was pretty low key to be completely honest i mean the first thing that surprised us was the field was quite small um possibly because of the weather possibly because of covid i, I don't really know but james i know that you said that when you did the wall with rat race you had a thousand runners is that correct I think there are a thousand in total but that included some relays and two-day participants as well so i think there are around 600 attempting it in one day right on solo okay. basis cool so yeah. canterbury trails was 238 and i actually don't think they were 238 starting either i think some may have looked at the weather on the morning and uh, not attended it felt really quiet to me chris i don't know about you it just was quite quite a small group of people quite low-key yeah, uh, and it was raining, and and really the whole mood was kind of affected. I think by the weather, it, it it looked to be a very bad day of weather, and I think we were all just kind of really reflecting on how that was going to affect the race. And I kind of worked out pretty early on it wasn't going to be a quick one for us. I think that we knew that it was going to be pretty tough because of the weather. And and to be honest, that was all I could think about. I just wanted to get started and I wanted to eat away some of the distance and make it a bit more manageable and a bit more, a bit more, my strategy throughout the whole thing was just to try and get to a point where the distance felt like it was achievable and, and break the back of the run really. How about you? Um, yeah, I mean, echoing everything you said at the start, it was a massive surprise to me. I, I don't know what I was expecting, but I thought that given the task that was ahead of us, there would be like a big deal made out about it, but there just wasn't. And I've never really done an event um, like that, to be honest. Like all of the events I've ever done, regardless of if it's running or cycling or anything else, there's always been the mass participation feel about it, which involves lots of fans. Obviously a lot more people do it. Um, 
and as with well when you're a beginner doing it for the first time um as with everything you fear when you see sort of like a really small field and like no fans seeing us off that you just know it's going to be a very long day and we're probably going to be at the back of the field and that was everything that was going through my mind oh my god really like not many runners at all we, what if we come last like will we even see anyone on the, on the route that that was what was going through my head but agreed that with you um we'd always said haven't we that we want to get to sort of 35 or 40 miles and that was the aim um just to get the majority well not the majority but a significant part of the mileage done and that felt at the time because of the rain a long way away but it actually went pretty well the first part of the race um and we were making good progress i think we were on on track and we got to pit stop two which was the marathon marker and we were pretty much the only i don't want to say the only because there were other fans but we had a lot of support because we we're doing it for charity because there was obviously three of us spanning two families um we had a lot of support and no one else seemed to have any support and one of my like biggest takeaways which we'll talk about later as well is just the 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 occasional loneliness of ultra running obviously normally in a marathon if you stop at a drink stop or something like that you've got fans the entire way and like you know charities if you're running for say prostate cancer or something like that there will be a prostate cancer area where you know they're supporting you but if you took our supporters away there was basically no one at the pit stops which was just a, a strange surreal experience really um but i think the difficult part which is crazy to say because we just run a marathon started after that marathon marker but uh, if we just go back to the impact of rain james it was interesting that you said you said if you weren't if you were on your own um you may have considered not doing it because of the weather so we noticed we now know because we've seen the results that a lot of people did drop out do you think the rain had a significant impact on that and like what was your head at because obviously you've done ultras before in rain um so what impact do you think that had what you don't want on any ultra is extremes of any kind of weather because again the distances means the effect is magnified and to have rain like that in the first three miles was just awful i mean i've run in rain before and i've run ultras in rain before but not to that extent and when you when you when you're running and you can hear your feet literally squelching you know we were talking about trench foot um <laughs> it was it was horrific conditions and, uh, and that sets the tone for you know if you start dry and after 10 miles you get a shower and it, it refreshes you but then when we got to the 14 and a half mile pit stop and we all changed our socks and like, all right ready now feet are dry and then we got another two or three mile batch of biblical rain again which just soaked our feet again and all of us started suffering with blisters very early in the race and that makes it a challenge and yeah I mean I've, I've done further than that on my own without any support but I think if that had been the case on Saturday I, I would have definitely considered not bothering. I think that's that impact that you've just said about blisters was one of the worst things that could have possibly happened and 
just to give everyone an idea of how that affected us i haven't had a single blister in any training over the last well two years really i didn't even get one when we did the brighton marathon and yet suddenly i was blistering all over the place and that was one of the most painful bits that you just blistered so early so by the time we got to that pit stop two i was already treating my feet for bad blisters and you know we had 40 40 odd miles to go still um but also demoralizingly because the field was so spread out and you're like james is right it was biblical rain you know it was really really bad weather you rarely actually see runners so there was the odd one or two runners that we kept on kind of changing places with but we because the rain was stopping and then you get too hot so you take your jacket off and then the rain would come back again so you'd have to you know get your bag out and put your waterproof back on it was just quite a, a strange experience of like I, I kind of got the feeling that it could have been me you and Nick running just doing our own run on any given Saturday it didn't really feel like a race at that stage for me um but if we move on then because I think for me personally the race started getting difficult after that marathon marker because I think we all felt pretty good apart from the blisters and 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 the rain um, after the first marathon. But I started to get quite bad knee pain, which again is something I hadn't had at all during any of my training runs. And it was my IT band on the right-hand side of my right knee. Um, but at this time we're still, it was manageable pain. You know, it wasn't too bad. We're still doing our plan. We're still well ahead of schedule there. Um, but the route takes us off road. So James, why don't you talk us through that section? Because I think we're all getting a little bit angry with the route, which was made worse because of the weather. Yeah, I think um, there were some bits that were quite difficult and the conditions made them really doubly so. And um, you, know, you look at the finish line, only two people went under 12 hours. Um, the winner did it in 11 hours 14, yet the winning time on the wall, which is longer and has a lot more elevation, was under 10 hours this year. So I think that demonstrates the difficulty of conditions on the day. I think we were, we were, you know, we were monitoring other runners during the race and the guy who presumably finished first was, did his first marathon in about three hours, 15 minutes. Um, so for him, you know, he slowed down significantly as well to finish in... 11 hours, 14. And I think, you know, particularly when I mean, we, we went through, was it, we went through a golf course, we went through an orchard, we went through a chicken coop with a dead chicken in the middle of it. So clearly <laughs> um, wasn't quite uh, the security that the farmer intended. Um, you yeah, know, parts of the route were actually flooded. And so just when your feet were about to dry out again, we had to literally wade through deep puddles. <laughs> and that was, yeah, I mean, it was called the Canterbury Trails, but I was a little bit surprised that there wasn't an opportunity to send a bag down the route like there is for the wall. And I think we'd have all welcomed the ability to change everything properly because even though you went onto your second pair of trainers, Chris, they were wet pretty quickly as well. Yeah. And I think, you know, having a, a change of clothes at 45 miles would have been lovely. Yeah, and, and again, if, if we hadn't have had the support, we wouldn't really have been able to change 
as often. I, mean, I know, you, James, you had quite a few backup socks, didn't you? But I had sent clothing down the line um, with our supporters. So, as you said, I was able to put on my second pair of running shoes, which actually was an absolute lifesaver for me because my first pair of trainers were just soaking wet. And although they did end up getting soaking again, the, the second pair, I did at least get sort of 10 miles out of them where my feet felt a lot better. Um, so I, I totally agree. If we, if you were able to send a full bag to say the 40 mile mark, that would have been a really nice thing that obviously we didn't have access to. But anyway, we're still, we get through this off-road bit. We're still way ahead of time. Things are going to plan. Um, and we get to Rochester, which was, in my opinion, the best part of the route. And morale was really high, I think, between all three of us at that stage. So, Nick, I know you really liked Rochester, didn't you? Um, and I think it was 36 miles, the Rochester pit stop. Is that right? Yeah, it was th I mean, it's beautiful. Um, and I actually, as I was running through it, my first thought was I need to come back here and have a, a, a good look around because... You know, one of the one of the problems with running through places is that you don't really get a chance to stop and appreciate them. But at that point, I genuinely felt really good. I honestly felt great. I was enjoying it. I think my body felt really okay, and I think it was really the sense that we were making progression. I think we talked. James talked a lot to us before about you know just momentum, just keep moving, and I think we had done a really good job of that. And I think to put it into context, I think we did 50K in just over seven hours. It was going really smoothly. And I think at that point I felt, I felt that we were gonna head to a, a quicker finish than maybe we actually thought. But I think, I'm sure you, Chris, you're gonna talk about what happened from your personal point of view, really in that pit stop, wasn't it? Yeah, um, so, well, <laughs> if I then carry on this this bit of the story so it came out of nowhere really so my knee was hurting and then we stopped at the pit stop but not for very long I'd say 15 minutes 20 minutes maybe max um and one of our supporters our, our, my cousin James's sister Lizzie is a physio so I I asked her to because the knee was getting worse the more we were sort of like having to dodge out of puddles and run on these really small bits of trail where you know you're not running naturally it was starting to really hurt especially going downhill so that was where it was particularly hurting for me and it just completely locked up after Rochester it really did um so in one side of my head I'm thinking oh my god you know we're we're just over halfway there's such a long way to go and in the other half of my head I'm thinking we're 36 miles in there's absolutely no chance that I'm stopping or giving up now unless I literally have to get carried off by an ambulance um but the knee was bad I don't want to downplay that because it, it really was causing me pain and every time I stopped it was it took a good five or ten minutes to bend at all so I was really hobbling so when we left the Rochester pit stop I think my morale had gone from getting into Rochester and it was really high you know we were making good good pace stopped at Rochester and then it took me a long time to well I had to go and buy paracetamol on deep heat um it took another two miles of the pace was just dropping and dropping we we're doing less running um and then 
we tried to get some strapping um, sent to me while we were on the run. So we got another maybe two or three miles down the line and there was this little section where it involved steps going down. And at that stage, we'd kind of switched it up a little bit to less running. Um, I think we were doing maybe two two minute run, three minute walk at that stage. Anyway, we're still making progress. And then we go down these stairs and the knee pain was just unbelievable. I actually thought I'd pulled a muscle or something like that. And it, my knee had just completely gone. So I think we must have been about 38, 39 miles there. Um, and we were just hitting a nice stretch of the run as well, where it follows a coastal route around the water. So it'd been um, quite a grim two miles through, again, like these really horrible water, water flooded, um, like bits of green, I guess. Um, and Lizzie comes to meet us on the route and we lost a good 20 minutes there where I was essentially lying down and getting treatment on, on my knee which involved a lot of strapping that didn't really stick to my to my leg that well obviously because I was wet and um, you know it just wasn't good conditions but one of my key takeaways there is that medical treatment for running injuries if unless you had a heart attack or something like that wasn't particularly good so I asked numerous times and our supporters asked as well if they had something like a knee brace or something something like that and the paramedics and the medical person wasn't particularly helpful i'm sure you'll both agree with that nick and james um they basically said no and i was like right that that's really helpful <laughs> um so there wasn't i kind of realized at that stage where we, we'd just about hit the 40 mile mark where I was essentially going to have to do a marathon on a bad knee, which, again, I was kind of in split thought 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 process about where one half of my brain was thinking, Jesus, that is a long time to go. And the other half was thinking, we've done 40 miles, which was what the original target, which we'd always talked about was get to the 40 mile mark on time. And then if we have to walk every single step after that, we'll still be OK under our 20 hour aim. And that's where we were. But I'm not going to lie, I was in a lot of pain and I had to go into like a weird headspace to just pace for it, do like almost like a, a military march to just get through it. Um, so if we then skip another... Can I, can I jump miles. in there, bruv? Yeah, go on. Can I jump in? Yeah. Sorry, because I, I, one thing I wanted to say here, and I think... Right from the start, we always said we were never going to split up. We were going to cross the line together. And I think that was a commitment that we all made. And I, I will say this, I think, and James, you predicted this, actually. I think you said this to us in a previous podcast, that the issue with that is that people hit their lows and their highs at different points, don't they? And like when we switched to walking at 30, what was it, like 36 miles, Chris, would you say? 36? What was that, yeah. sorry? It was after the Rochester pit stop. Yeah, it, it just that, that for me, yeah. that, that that was really hard for me. It really didn't work for me. And actually, I started to really struggle because I'm not as quick a walker as you. And I think I needed to be running more at that point to try and change the pressure points on my feet and to alleviate some of the pressure on my muscles. And I, and although, yeah. and I think my Milo came later on and, and don't get me wrong, like I needed you guys to help me through that. And at the back end of the race, and I know that we're going to talk about the final 10 miles, which is just at that point, just 
it was like an episode of the walking dead it was just survival get to the finish line but like i do feel that that was a really critical moment in the whole day in terms of of just it changed it changed the whole complexion of the race and like i think you what you're about to say chris or what you were just saying is that you very much the shutters came down didn't they i think you became very insular you really kind of withdrew within yourself to try and just you know just pound on and you know james was describing this quite brilliantly to our supporters and james do you want to give us a little uh, impression of how chris was responding <laughs> yeah right chris no do you want to talk no should we try and cheer you up no is there anything we can talk about no want some music no <laughs> head down and marching so it wasn't quite the uh the banterous bonding session between brothers that I'd, I'd imagined it to be. And it's all, you know, jovially marching on with holding hands and dancing and singing. It was just, yeah. What I would say though, is that I never, I never thought that I wouldn't finish for one. And I went into that headspace purely because I needed to just focus on the steps. Cause at this stage as well, like think obviously I think we're all aching so it wasn't just the knee but you know we were 40 miles in so everything was hurting my feet were hurting but the knee pain was just an overwhelming pain so things were starting to deteriorate and I was having to compensate for my knee not really being able to bend uh, so doing a lot of the heavy lifting on my left leg which is not my predominant leg so I just needed to get into for a good spell into like the mindset of just tunnel vision as nick said where this, this is this is where i cannot believe you did not put headphones in and listen to music because music is my savior on my runs and my long runs it's my go-to place when mm -hmm. people sponsor me ask if they want to give me a song because then i think about them and give me a reading i'm grateful for them sponsoring me or this songs that means something to me personally and it takes me into that headspace and i love that and i rely on music and i was stunned that you were just in marching in silence <laughs> i can't really explain why i didn't phenomenal. do that as well because that would have been the, the the obvious thing to do and it was more for me that i i was hurting so much i didn't want to stop or think about anything else so i just i, I just wanted to just keep going and that's why i didn't want to stop get my headphones out or even think about the process of taking my bag off and getting my headphones out i just wanted to keep then, going then, and then going and going stop and get your <laughs> stop and take your bag out because we had to find your head torch so there was times when you had your bag on the floor and you were digging through it and you still didn't go for your headphones it was yeah yeah but what i would say is because of because of that i would say i my morale actually improved throughout the night and we'll come to this in the final 10 miles because for, for me, every step was getting closer to the finish. Whereas it was worse probably 26 miles out because I, we had such a long way to go. And I was just thinking in my head, this is going to be brutal from a pain perspective. I'm going to have to go real deep here. Um, so although the, you know, going in the dark bit was horrible and, uh, I would say I was probably in a better headspace and we were chatting as well, James, obviously like five miles out where we were actually having conversation then compared to if you're 10 miles back, I wasn't really talking at all. Um, so Nick, why don't you take over now? Because 
I would say you went the other way slightly where your morale went lower. Um, and yeah, totally. I mean, my, my whole, my whole happiness during the day was based on the feeling of, of progression and speed of progression. And what happened when we started walking is it just felt like it was going painfully slowly. And from my point of view, I found that really mentally difficult. I just didn't feel like we were making quick progress. And then you start looking at time left, you know, bearing in mind that we were at 35, we were over halfway in seven hours. And then we finished in night. Like, I don't think we've actually mentioned this, but our finish time was 19 hours. And that started over nine hours. Yeah. yeah. So for me, like I was starting to realize as I was looking at the watch that our finish time was just drifting into what I considered to be like really quite long. Um, And I'm not a good walker. I'm not, I don't walk quickly, uh, comfortably. And that's when I started to blister because I think it's that monotonous kind of robotic walking motion. So I was doing things like I was dropping 50 meters behind you and then doing a little job to catch back up. And what, what really shocked me was I, I could, I was still running at 60 miles I could still do little bits of jogging I think I'd reached the point where it didn't really matter whether I was walking or jogging it was it was going to hurt anyway so yeah my, my morale actually got lower the later we got on and that's also because I think at, at about 60 miles I started to really really hurt for the first time my, my right knee started to hurt I started to just feel like there was a possibility that I was just going to collapse <laughs> <laughs> um and at that point it's so funny because distance is is so it's the perspective of distance is fascinating with ultra marathons because if you said to me you're seven miles away from the finish line uh two weeks ago i'd be like amazing i can do seven miles in my you know no problem at all that seven miles like felt almost like an insurmountable distance because you're also then thinking like seven miles at this pace that's that's over two hours of walking <laughs> so I, I dipped big time. And, but the thing is, and this is, the, I want to talk about this a little bit as well. It's the dark as well. Like when it got dark, the whole race just totally changed. You lose all the benefit of being in nice surroundings, which we weren't anyway, because we were basically on the A2 for literally, I want to say like 20 miles. You know, it's it's advertised as the old Roman road. It's just a straight dual car, you know, like a straight A road with traffic ripping past and a there's nothing nice overgrown about it. shrubbery on the path. Um, it was pretty bleak, to be honest. And your head torches are on, and the whole thing just became really, really monotonous. It was it was difficult to break up the sense of it just being like a slog at that point. So that was that was definitely when I dipped. Um, so. I think as well, just to add something there. So by that stage, because of the road, we were all in single file, which I felt made a big difference because you're less together and we'd done the majority of it running side by side or at least like two and one. But we'd also picked up someone um, who was probably (laughs) in a worse position than us. So I don't know, did that make you feel any better, Nick, that you know, we were actually not one, not getting overtaken by anyone. And two, we'd picked up a couple of people on the way. So I spent quite a lot of time actually on the tracker, looking at where we were in relation to other people. And I think what I probably didn't realize at the time was that although it seemed like there were only maybe less than 20 people behind us, I think that's because a lot of people had dropped out. Um, but you, you sort of see five or six people, don't you, repeatedly over the course of the day that are moving at a similar pace and you sort of yo-yo. So they go past you, 
you go past them you see them at the feed stations the checkpoints the pit stops shout out to mark who was hurting i saw him coming out of a petrol station with a lucas aid and a mars bar and he was not in a good way and he just hopped on the back of our little train for a little bit of the a2 and he finished just behind us in the end um but at that point yeah it, it well, was apparently really... according to the trackers he finished ahead of me as as did we we'll mention that yeah. later james and how we managed to yeah. drop you at the end of the race with a little burst of energy that nobody thought we had yeah it just it kind of felt really it was really strung out it was really strung out and at that point you're not going to close on people that are ahead of you by a mile and you're not going to get caught by people that are behind you by a mile unless you just blow up so it is an odd experience it's what you referred to at the start chris isn't it that unlike any other running event i've ever done you feel very much like you are doing it in isolation sometimes yeah yeah that that was one of my fears from the start because i saw when i saw the 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 amount of people doing it um and you're right when it gets to that stage of the race i mean we if you take mark out of the equation who joined our group for for quite a long spell but we didn't really see anyone for a good possibly four hours um which in the dark and when you're having to just go down a dual carriageway on a tiny tiny little bit of paving all in single file is pretty bleak yeah, it was really just our nemesis, wasn't it? The guy in the sandals listening to Magic FM who <laughs> ended up beating us. And uh, that that hurts a little bit, if I'm being completely honest. <laughs> yeah, that, that one was was tough to take. That That's the equivalent of getting overtaken by a guy in a rhino outfit in London Marathon after yeah. 25 miles and you think you're going fast and then you see that happening. It's, it's quite soul-destroying. He's going to haunt me in my dreams. It's just that sound of the, the faint sound of Lionel Richie coming up behind you. <laughs> um, yeah, bizarre. A veteran yeah. of many ultra marathons, he told me, though. So he, he obviously knows what he's doing, but he was wearing socks and sandals. Yeah, I mean, one of my takeaways of the whole experience is that there are some interesting characters who do the ultra running like scene and... Um, a few people said to us that you often see the same faces at all of these ultra marathons. Um, so the, I mean, one of it's a positive because I think the ultra running community is pretty tight knit and very supportive and very friendly. You know, you're not going at pace. So, and I think that's still quite hard for some people to get their head around that, you know, our running pace was slow and even people I've spoken to since the ultra marathon, um, don't quite understand that obviously you like you're obviously not going to run it at 5k pace or 10k pace or even marathon pace because it doesn't work like that it is an endurance event and you know the time that we got of 19 hours seems like such a long time and like people have said to me oh yeah if i can run a four-hour marathon like i'd finish in 12 hours but when when you're moving that slowly the perspective thing you're absolutely right nick like five five miles takes a long time um but i think one of one thing i always felt from a mindset point of view and this this is one of the things i'm most proud of for both of us is we were never not going to finish it 
And I've done things in the past where we're well out of our depth and we were well out of our depth in this, in the ultra running scene. I think we both agree with that, but at no stage did I think we're not finishing this. So it was probably, well, it was definitely the most painful thing I've ever done, especially those last 15, 20 miles. It literally felt like I was stepping on razor blades and someone was just taking a hammer to my knee every time I stepped. But at the same time, as long as we kept moving and our walking pace still remained fairly consistent, like we never like had like we're hobbling badly at any stage. Um, I have done other things where I've generally thought like, okay, we could actually die here, <laughs> like up a mountain or something like that. Um, so that's one of my things to say on the race before we bring James in. The other thing is since the race finished, we have seen the completion rate, which was less than 50%, I believe. And it was previously advertised at 95% completion rate. So James, we'll come to you in a minute because I want to know how you felt that it compared to the other ultras that you've done. But that again is just makes me feel really proud because you're right, Nick. Like when we're looking at the tracker and you you see 17 people behind you, you're thinking, we're right at the back of the field here, but that's 17 people who are still in the race. So a hundred potentially, depending on how many people started it, may well have dropped out by them. And then just our supporters, I think um, it made it a really momentous thing for us um, that at every pit stop, sort of every half, half marathon distance, we had 15 to 20 people really supporting us on. And we would do, we've always said, you know, we we're doing it for a blood cancer charity, myeloma. Our dad was there. He made it to the end when we finished at 2.50 a.m. He was there at the finish line. Um, and for me, that made a massive difference because at each pit stop, they gave us a boost. They gave us fuel, even though there was food and stuff at the pit stops. Um, obviously, Lizzie and uh, Katie, the two physios that were there, massive shout out to both of them for helping me with my knee. But no one else really got that. Like this Mark who joined us had, had no support. So I think he said to you, Nick, didn't he, that if he hadn't have got on our, on our little train, he probably would have pulled out. Yeah, he did. On the support note, we don't know that there was no support for other people because the problem with ultras is people have come and gone from the pit stops before True. you get there. So you, what you don't get is that sort of mass participation finish in a marathon where you've got, potentially a thousand supporters lining the you know the final straight it's never like that it's literally never like that and you're right from our point of view it was just our our fans at the um our supporters at each of our checkpoints and pit stops i've got yeah. no idea what it was like for the runners who've gone but there were other runners in the pit stops when we were there yeah absolutely yeah absolutely we were very lucky and I, I might be like stepping on james's toes a bit here but in terms of that completion percentage like james said to us on the day it's all about the why like when it's tough like that when the weather's bad it's about the why we, we had the best why in the world we, we raised three over three thousand pounds almost four thousand pounds now that in itself was motivation to just push through and for me like every one of our sponsors what a massive debt of gratitude we owe them really because when it was really difficult that was what i was going back to i, said, I can't let them down you know yeah. they've they put their money into invested it into me and and trusted me to get this done and for dad as well so it, you're right it was it was very much like 
we're underprepared. We're going to talk about that. Definitely. We're not ultra marathon runners, but what we were was really bloody stubborn, especially you, because your knee, uh, it's difficult in the race because you, you kind of, like, I was concerned about your knee and I was worried about you, but you're also just mainly thinking, I had to think about myself as well. So yeah. it's quite hard for me to kind of like compartmentalize dealing with the fact that you look like you were quite badly hurt, but I'm like, Really, I just need to make sure I can get to the finish line as well. Um, so for you to walk on, you know, 32 miles on a knee that at certain points looked like it just wasn't going to function, you know, fair play, Chris. That's the well, last nice thing you're probably going to hear on this podcast. Yeah, that's <laughs> James is just waiting to pounce, just thinking, right, I'll burst that positivity bubble. No. Um, so let's go to you then, James, because one, I want to get your thoughts on the route because... I know you got angry at times with the route and the last 10 miles in particular, when it got pitch black dark, some of the turnings that we took were very questionable, um, particularly going through that national park right at the very end with a massive hill that seemed to go on forever and literally <laughs> the no hill natural that Nick light. Said was downhill from here. Yeah. <laughs> it was uphill Thanks, for three miles solidly yeah. in pitch dark. That was um, a how did it compare to others you've done, James? And like, what would you say about the route? It, it's hard to compare because obviously I've never finished a race at, in the dark before. You know, every time I've done the wall, I, I make sure I'm done in daylight, which makes a difference. And as Nick said, your perception of everything does change. And I thought that that bit through the country park was just soul destroying because it was so... <laughs> it was, funny because you know we you didn't even see the puddle that you stepped in you almost disappeared <laughs> that, that was really really bad but also in a way it kind of helped me because I got angry for the first time in the race I actually got really angry with the puddle and then we were only about four miles out by then weren't we and and that anger really spurred me on a little bit but that was a horrible thing my feet had just got dry and then I stepped in the biggest pothole full of water <laughs> and yeah I was furious yeah, so yeah, it's, it's hard to say how it compares, but it's running at night. And then we, we mentioned it on last week's podcast, but it is a very different experience. And the, the prep that you do, you know, I went out at half past 10 on Monday night to go for a run because I ran around Pride Park where I live. It was familiar to me. So it doesn't really prepare you for going through unfamiliar places in proper darkness like that. So I wasn't the biggest fan of the route and it's not a race that I would necessarily look to do again. You know, I've said before, I'll, I'll probably do the wall again because I really enjoy it. And it's iconic and the views are spectacular. And I think other than Rochester, you don't even, you didn't even appreciate coming to Canterbury because you're going through tiny little parks again until suddenly you're there. Yeah, it was quite interesting. Big like, we couldn't actually see Canterbury Cathedral at any stage at all until what well we saw it once for about five seconds yeah so i was assuming that we'd get sort of you know a mile out and you'd be able to see it in the background it's like the last mile but no there was, there was absolutely none of that <laughs> but how if if you take the route out of the equation then james like just the general day how did you think it compared to other ultras you've either done or seen i think the small field impacted there was certainly less camaraderie and it, 
seemed like less enthusiasm from the organisers. Mm. Uh, yeah. I don't know whether, again, whether just the weather put a dampener on my my mental perspective of it all, um, or the running in the dark has changed. But I, yeah, it wasn't it wasn't overall a positive experience in terms of the setup for me. And I think that you know, as I mentioned earlier, not being able to send a bag that that pissed me off quite frankly because <laughs> I wanted fresh trainers and and by the end I was so cold and I'd love to you know you have to carry all the mandatory kit so then there is has to be stuff that you can't carry and I love the fact that on the wall where there is a bag waiting for you at 45 miles that they then take to the finish line it was it was kept me going seven weeks ago when I was injured myself and I was like it doesn't I can change my clothes I can change everything and freshen myself up properly for that final stint and that was lacking here so I think it, it would be great if we just do a last section which is basically our key takeaways um about what it's like to do an ultra marathon from the perspective of people who had never done one before and if I'm completely honest probably never going to do one again <laughs> asterisk who knows because we're idiots but um I, I want to start with um the, the best things actually and if I could lead off Chris um one yeah. of the things that I really have enjoyed about the whole process is really changing my relationship with running um and really just being able to focus on endurance and for pace to not be something that I think about very much. And I think the consequence of that is I've enjoyed my longer runs an awful lot more than I did when I was training for a marathon where I was constantly trying to hit certain time targets, which became quite onerous. And, you know, there were lots of runs over those eight months where I went out and I basically just ran when I wanted to, walked a little bit when I wanted to. I didn't really look at my watch very much. I was much more aware of my surroundings I listened to good music, I listened to good podcasts and I, I got to the end of the runs. I was like, do you know what? I've run for four, you know, three hours, four hours and I've quite enjoyed it. So my first um, positive key takeaway is developing a different relationship with running um, and not having to worry about pace or intensity as much and actually really quite enjoying that as a change from any previous running experience I had. Yeah, just to add on to that because I think the exact same happened for me where previously I like let's face it we didn't really do any intense runs of like five or ten k time and I think the whole not looking at your watch thing is something that was incredibly liberating in fact because time is actually irrelevant and it, it's quite hard when you've got a sports watch to forget about that sometimes like it's really tempting to see, you know, what your average mile pace is. Oh, have I run a quick 5K there? It, it actually doesn't matter for for ultra running. And that took me about three months, I reckon, of the process to stop looking at my watch. But by the time I got to longer runs of the training plan, I also actually started really enjoying them. And I found podcasts were great. And that's something I didn't expect because I've said before that I don't really like running, to be quite honest with you. Um, but because you just take the pace off and you just get into a bit of a rhythm, don't you? Uh, it hurts less 
for starters because it's less intense you you are able to as you said like see things more so you see more of the great outdoors and the fact that you can run further because you're going slower but longer it's it's almost empowering in a way so i i totally agree with that i think the main thing for me though is that um from what's the if you said to me what's the best thing about an ultra marathon why would you do it compared to a marathon say i would say the number one reason is it's one of the most challenging physical and mental things you can ever take on and i know a lot of people talk about like the last 6.2 miles of a marathon and all that sort of stuff but it really is a different ballpark the ultra running stuff because when you go that deep and for that that much time on your feet um it's not it's not even a physical thing a lot of it's in your head so if you really want to test yourself or do something amazing for charity that's more than something like a marathon then i i, I definitely think that it ticks all the boxes um and if you'd have said to me sort of like where does that rank in terms of the other challenges we've done barring that one challenge i spoke about earlier where i thought that we could die and that was involved mountains it's by far the most difficult physical and mental thing that we've ever done so in terms of feeling proud about that definitely um the other positive thing is just um the the community and i spoke about this a little bit earlier but the ultra running community is quite a unique one but it's a really friendly one um and there's lots of ultra running groups and there's lots of wide ranges of people who you know some who the guy one who did it in 11 odd, odd hours obviously absolutely smashed it but you'll also get a lot of people on the start line who just decide to walk the entire thing which means that there's a real range of abilities um but what they are what what they all have in common is you know they have a very positive mindset because that's what gets you to the distance so it doesn't matter how fast you are it's all about just doing it um which is why a lot of the cutoff times are long for these events um yeah anything else nick about the like the positive sides of of an ultra i think that you, you hit the nail on the head i think the emphasis on ultras is completion and that is the the single goal and there will be runners in ultra marathon races who are time orientated but getting across that finish line is is a win in itself and i think the fact that that is the main motivation for a large percentage of the field just, just changes the, the whole vibe and that's where that really nice community spirit comes from and you're right it is an incredibly impressive challenge to do and anyone who can do it you know and does it multiple times hats off to them so the next thing I wanted to then cover then is is what makes ultras different, and we we kind of undenied about whether to to call this section the worst things about ultras. But I think essentially, in, in my opinion, if you're listening to this and you're on the fence, you need to make an informed decision about whether or not this is what you want to do. So I think it's worth just now visiting over the totality of the experience, which includes the training. What are the biggest challenges and takeaways that i would give to someone who is considering starting this journey and i'm i reckon here we do give james a platform as well to talk about preparation because we've we've really emphasized repeatedly we're very normal guys we're not 
we're not people that are used to making massive sacrifices or lifestyle changes for running. And I think that has definitely had an effect in how ready we were on that start line. So should we start with training? Because I think that's, it's a yeah. big commitment, isn't it? It is so a big commitment. the number one thing, I think, which is one of the, the, the you could say worst, um, but also, I guess, if you love running, the best. Um, and I read something earlier about, why you'd love ultra running and the main message the concluding message at the bottom was if you enjoy running you'll love ultra running basically like to simplify the whole messaging down so but the fact that i don't really enjoy running that much meant that it was one of the difficult things for me that the training requires a long time investment you know eight months and because it's every weekend you know during the latter phase of the training it's going out for four or five hours pretty much every weekend. It also takes its toll on your lifestyle sacrifices. So, you know, family time, um, work, all those sorts of things. Um, so, James, here's the thing, Chris. Right? I mean, I, before before we bring James in, we've run an ultra marathon, but we're not ultra marathon runners. I don't no. think either you or me ever have, have reached a point, and I think this is probably what James is going to say. Um, where we actually understand what it takes to be an ultra marathon runner. We did enough to do one race. I would say we do understand it, but we're not willing to yeah, do it. And I'm, I'm fine with that. That's one of my learnings. I think I did. I did the absolute best that I could do. And I don't think I could have done any more. And I know that we frustrated James at times because we haven't been able to follow the programs or his advice as close as he would have liked. So, I mean, James, <laughs> You've been working with us <laughs> in the loosest <laughs> possible sense as our coach for eight months. I mean, where do you begin with pupils like me and Chris? <laughs> <laughs> where do we begin? I think there is no substitute for doing the miles. And that's what I, I tried to get over to you. And I, I think my, my university... Hungary last week was was fairly spot on that you crammed at the end, but you didn't give your bodies enough of a base to make it a really positive experience. Except Chris was injured, but his face at the finish line was like someone who is suffering from PTSD, having witnessed you know some war crimes or something, rather than a look of joy and relief. And you know, I, I look back on my finishing photos from the first time I did the wall and the smile on my face and the sheer joy I got out of it. And I'm, I'm disappointed for Chris that he didn't experience, you know, he said on his post Instagram, he doesn't feel any joy or relation at the achievement that he's got. And I think if you put your body and, and mind through darker places early on in the training to give you a better idea what it's going to be like, and you push yourself through that pain zone properly, it prepares you better for stuff that goes wrong on the day. I, th I mean, I, I can't argue with that. And I think, Chris, we, we know that we know that the, the optimal training programme would have had different outcomes in terms of mileage and things like that. I mean, what I was saying right now is I didn't, I didn't actually feel very good for a lot of the training. And I mean that both in terms of like physically, but also I got ill loads. I, I said this on the last podcast, I think there's a correlation. And that's why I have a lot of respect for people who do this and, and then keep doing it because 
I'm now going to basically get fat and stop and I'm going to eat. I'm not. I, I don't want to lose this completely. <laughs> I don't want to lose this completely, but you know what I mean? Like, I feel like I'm done, but there are people, and James is one of them. When's your next ultramarathon, James? Uh, just under four weeks. Right, there we go. So you're not taking your foot off the pedal. I couldn't go another week at the tempo that we've been going at, and it's still not been enough to do this comfortably. Having said that, I mean, I, I felt like I crossed the line and I did have more to give. I, I felt like I... I did have more to give. But you um, did you did back-to-back long runs. You did more of the plan than Chris did. And you were in better shape. And you did smile when you crossed the finish line. I would again, I, I jump Chris in there, though. You can't, and I'm going to disagree it's, with it's you. All about, it's all about giving yourself the best chance of avoiding something going wrong. And I think, you know, it's like when you look at COVID, when you have social distancing, you wear masks, everything is designed to reduce the risk of you getting it. And so you do as many things as you can when you're training to increase the risk, uh, the chance, increase the percentage chance of you enjoying it and surviving it and thriving on it. And there were a few points where the training wasn't ideal. I will jump in there though and say that my lack of smile and there are photos of me smiling at the end you're referring to one specific photo when i just wanted to go to bed but i'm referring to me, your mindset over the past over the last 20 miles as well when there wasn't when i said yeah you're about to do something great you're like I'm not yeah but the knee shouldn't be underestimated there and i know you keep saying back-to-back runs but i ran more miles than nick so yes i didn't do back-to-back but runs back, like he did you know, you said, I'm going to run tomorrow instead. And then it's not a back-to-back run. That, that doesn't prepare you for running on tired legs and tired yeah, but we can't, you can't, You can't put the knee injury down to that because I got it so early. I said to you within 15 miles that my knee was hurting. That's got nothing to do with back-to-back runs. It was just one of those things that my knee let me down. If you take the knee out of the equation, the rest of my body was actually pretty good. My left leg was great. You know, I've got no DOMS. Like considering everyone said I'd be feeling awful yesterday and today, I feel much better today because my knee's less swollen. So if that, the that, knee injury you're, hadn't you're, have happened. That that's fine. You couldn't say that, but I said right back in January, back to back runs are the back to back long runs are the key. Oh, no so one's disputing that. But the reason I didn't and smile Nick, is Nick because my twice. knee it wasn't the fact that I didn't do back to back runs. It was my knee was bust. We'll never know, will we? We'll never know. But the fact that if if I, if the knee injury had have happened at maybe 35 miles, I would have said, fine, you're absolutely right. This is just because the stresses of this mileage is too much for my knee. But it happened so early. I've run so many half marathons now in the last eight months. Like I don't see how the not doing the back-to-back runs would have made any impact on that. I just I do genuinely think it was just it happened on the day because maybe we were wet and the route was not or it flat. Happened you know, we're running through fields. The and last like... minute and you fell asleep in the exam because you were so tired from the night before. I do think yeah, the fifty K we, we said like on the last podcast that what happened with our training program was that it got shunted because of illness and we we pushed that fifty K walk in really late, like well within what I think would be I think the safe time to do. I just I wonder whether that just basically created a weakness or a soreness that then was exacerbated by condition. Like, I think you're right, Chris, we don't know. We won't know. Like, 
you might have just had one step on the run when you were trying to jump over a puddle that jarred your knee. Like it happens. It reminds me of um, of the story of Richard, our other cousin, um, when he was at uni and he stayed up all night revising and took loads of Pro Plus and Red Bull and <laughs> fell asleep during his exam and had a dream about Michael Owen playing for England. I think it was a maths exam. And he ends up answering a question, writing about Michael Owen scoring a goal. So that's a question. Yeah, yeah. We, we left a lot to the last minute, to be fair. Um, but what I would just to wrap up before we move on on training, though, and I know James won't like this either, but I know, and you said it as well, we both know that we didn't do enough training. But at the same time, I wouldn't change anything about my training plan because it goes back to the fact that we are not ultra runners. I don't enjoy getting up at 4am and 5am to do long training runs and my lifestyle doesn't fit it. You know, if I had have done that, it brings problems into your life. You know, spending time with your family and stuff like that, you know, the going back to becoming a parent, I, I literally wouldn't have done anything different. If you'd have said to me, I'll, I'll give you, I'll gift you 10 more long runs and you wouldn't actually have to do the runs, but you'd have to spend, each run was four hours. You'd have to spend that time away. I, I literally wouldn't do it because I felt that I had given it everything from a time perspective. And it's a, the, the training process, to be quite honest with everyone listening, it's really difficult on your family life as well because it's time away. You're not able to do stuff. And then it got to a stage in the latter parts where I was having to run marathons, which being a, a not very natural runner is, is obviously difficult. And then go and, you know, take my daughter swimming and stuff. It's like I'm physically exhausted. <laughs> and then you get home and Nick, I know this is the same for you. You get dumped with the child and it's like you want to obviously do stuff with your kid so like in hindsight yes i fully appreciate we didn't listen to everything you said james and we sh we should have done more running but i actually wouldn't change it um the thing is pe people with families and busy jobs do ultra marathons and, and I, I spent a lot of time reading about this and i have huge admiration for it but what they do is they they really do run at anti-social hours and that's well, what james, james does this as well no, but what I mean by this is that, you know, they might be up and running a marathon at 5 a.m. in order to then be back and to be able to do all the other duties and responsibilities. And I learned that. I processed it. I know it. I just couldn't do it. That's <laughs> not something that I could do. And I, I'm quite happy to put my hands up and say that and say I just can't be asked with that level of commitment. But that's the that's the reality. If you want to do it and you want to do it in like, you know, a decent time, what we did was enough to get us to the finish line. I'll stand by that. And, you know, of course, I would have loved to have been quicker. I would have loved to have been more comfortable. But actually, I'm quite proud of just being able to do it. I think that really was. And when you look at the completion rate of the day, like clearly a lot of people who would have done possibly more training than us, maybe even didn't make the finish line. Yeah. So moving on from training then what else is difficult about ultra running i mean i think we've, we've really talked about most of the main things i mean I, i've written down here it is can be a lonely experience on the day in the race um 
with all of the things, the trappings of like the mass participation events that perhaps aren't as prominent with ultra running. Um, and that for me is the other thing, aside from the physical and mental challenge and the commitment that the training requires. I mean, I mean, actually, I think probably James is an interesting one to ask this question too, because I think it's easy for us to make a list of the things that we found hard, but James does this a lot more than us. So what, what do you find hard about this, James? Do you find any of it hard? I'm trying to get you two to listen quite hard. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I've always said I, I enjoy running and I do it because, you know, I raise money for my sister's charity and I'm, I feel grateful that I'm a, able to do it. And it gives me, you know, a proper sense of, of mental well-being. And it certainly got me through lockdown. Lockdowns one and two was, was running every day. It was the only thing that probably stopped me going um on a slippery slope so i think the what, what's really difficult is trying to get your head around what you're doing and and the fear that everything can go so wrong it it, it overwhelms you. you just you know we spoke about dreaming about the running and all the kit list you have to take and you're constantly it it, it takes up it's not just the running it takes up your time it's the whole mental aspect of it taking over your life it consumes you and that is difficult yeah, yeah. i think that uh, you know it's, it's interesting you say that to some extent for you on a personal level that's been a positive thing because it's given you focus during a time with the pandemic where and i think a lot of other people have really discovered running haven't they at this time and i don't think that's a coincidence um I think probably it's, it's, it's time to wrap up. Shall we just do some closing thoughts to kind of bring the, the series and the episode to a close? And I'll go first. I mean, and what I'll say is this, right? If I've, if I've learned anything, it's that you need a reason, a good reason, because you're going to have to fall back on that reason an awful lot. And just make sure you know what you're getting into, really. Um, you know, if you're thinking about doing an ultramarathon, do your research make sure that you have space for it in your life and that you're willing to make those sacrifices that we've described. Chris? Um, I definitely agree with your thoughts there. What I would add to that is choose your ultra wisely. And I think we probably didn't because we went for a 67 mile ultra when we'd only ever run one painful marathon. And in reality, we could have chosen a load of other ultras which were even if it was just 100k that last which is 62 miles isn't it that that five mile difference is substantial when you're moving that slowly um it's a long so way yeah it's a long way um so maybe go for you know a, a middle of the range ultra and not a massive one like that um but I agree. I think the main, the main thing is know what you're getting yourself into and have the reason. We we obviously had the reason. James is also running for a charity called Grit, as he said. Um, but don't underestimate how brutal it is and don't think that because you've done a marathon, you can do an ultra because it, it's a different style of running. James? I, I, just, I will say, you know, despite the moment, well done to you both. You um, It's been a long journey. Um you know, emotionally and physically and um and you did it and you've raised money for for a great charity 
and you know seeing your dad's face on at the end will will always live with us all i think it was um it was great and um yeah well done well, are you ever go- are you ever going to run with us again no <laughs> <laughs> well i'll end there on a positive because i also want to add that we did it together and we probably wouldn't have been able to do it without your help to be honest so thank you to yourself james for you know mentoring us, us along um because other people like just told us to piss off basically when we told them we're doing an ultra marathon whereas you, you why didn't we us. listen <laughs> yeah we should have yeah, just been like yeah fair play this is a terrible <laughs> idea um but yeah it's something we all did together and i think that is probably the biggest uh, like if you take the charity away from it um and like our dad and stuff the actual event the biggest thing for me is that i'm really glad that we did it as three and it will be something that we'll never forget so regardless of if we do another one again that photo of us three crossing the finish line hands up in the air will always be something we have um nick we are ultra runners now maybe not in mindset but we've done an ultra and we've got the medal so happy days but thanks everyone for listening over the course of the series and hopefully if anyone is listening who's thinking about doing an ultra it's been quite an enlightening experience of the kind of difficulties and challenges you'll go through and the mistakes you absolutely shouldn't make so cheers james cheers nick it's been a pleasure cheers you've been listening to the vv nation podcast thank you so much for tuning in If you like what you heard, don't forget to rate it, share it and subscribe and please stay fit and active. And you can follow us on our social channels on Twitter at VVNationFit, Facebook at VVNation and Instagram at VV underscore Nation. Also check out our website VVNation.co.uk for all of our podcast episodes and don't be afraid to send us a message and get in touch. Thank you.